0: There's nothing wrong with admitting that you fell short, but God doesn't need you to admit it again in order for you to be forgiven again. You're forgiven once and for all, forever, for all time. I know that's hard for me. I know I get a lot of I get a lot of Instagram comments and Facebook comments. This is wrong. How dare you? You're a heretic. You're going to hell. You got to preach repentance. You better get right with God. Preacher, you better. And I'm like, it's so funny that the people are always going to get people that put more trust in their own righteousness than the righteousness that comes from God. Paul said, Paul said, if anybody Paul said in, in Philippians chapter three, if anybody could claim he's righteous in his own works, I I can't. I was a Pharisee. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Jew of the Jews. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he said in in Philippians chapter three. He said, but I count all of that to be rubbish in replace of the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Philippians three, eight through 10 It's so simple. This Christianity we made it so hard. Christians have made it so preachers have made it so hard. Like we gotta, you got to you got to go through the eye of a needle. You got to just you know, go through the eye of a needle to enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus was talking about people that put their trust in uh, in, in their riches rather than trusting in Jesus, trusting in God. And nobody can get into heaven by trusting in themselves. You can only get into heaven by trusting in Jesus. Religion tells us get it together, clean up your act get it, you know, get the sin out of your life. You better get it holy before you take communion. You better, you know, repent before you go to church. You better get your act together before you start serving God. And yet God used prostitutes and harlots and people that have been married five times and uh, and people were living together. And I'm not and I'm not saying that any of those things God's not condoning any of those things, but he's not condemning those things. He cultivates inside of a person a proper view of himself so that you will be willing and be able to approach him and know that he loves you and he forgives you and he's not holding anything against you. And therefore, you're never afraid to go to God, never afraid to be bold and ask him for something. You're never afraid to talk to him. You're never afraid to pray. And so now prayer becomes an overflow of knowing what God is really like. You see, so I can stand up here and tell you, well, here's how a Christian should live. A Christian should pray every day. A Christian should read their Bible. A Christian should give. A Christian should obey. A Christian should be holy. A Christian. But see, that is not what God that's not how to truly walk with God. The way to walk with God is to be able to approach him without guilt, to be able to approach him, knowing that you're forgiven, to be able to go to God, knowing that he loves you, to be able to know that he's not going to reject you. He said, if anyone comes to me, I will in no way cast you out. Do you realize He enjoys you. Do you realize God is wild about you? He's crazy about you. He's madly in love with you. Do you realize that he's not doing you a favor because he doesn't want to sit with you? He wants to sit with us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to fellowship with us. He wants to know us in an intimate way. That's what he means when he says, sit with me sit with me. Have you ever noticed how many times Jesus is sitting in the Bible? He's sitting with his disciples. He's sitting in a boat. He's sitting and Mary is white, you know, is uh, is listening to his word. And Martha's running around. He prays and sits and tells his disciples, sit with me while I pray. He tells the people when he's about to feed them and they've been following him for three days and they're all hungry. And he said, have the people sit down. Then he sits at the right hand of the father. And then the Bible says, and he seats us with him in heavenly places. You think he's trying to get a point across to us all this sitting? You know, we're the worst at that when it comes to our relationship with God, we think we have to be making noise and getting crazy. And we think we have to just um, the louder we are, the, 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 the more active we are, the more um, the more we do for God, the more happy he'll be or the more the, 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 the less guilty we'll feel that this is not the Christian life that God wants us to walk in. He wants us to walk in a, a life of rest, sit, Sitting means resting. Sitting means being at peace. Sitting means being safe. Sitting means being calm. There is a calm that God wants you to experience in your life. When Jesus got in the boat with his disciples, the storm hit. But Jesus was sleeping in the in the back of the boat. And then he rebukes the storm and says, peace, be still. And the Bible says there was a great calm. How many know there was a great calm already in that boat, but not among the disciples there was a great calm in the heart of Jesus. He was calm, even though there was a storm, because he understood he had a promise from God. We're going to the other side. He understood he had the presence of God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he understood he had the power of God, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And that's why he had the peace of God. Worship is really not about us being good singers to the Lord. Worship is about giving him the attention. And what gives God the most attention is when you realize what Jesus did for you and you're focused on him, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the Bible says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. What I'm doing is I'm fixing my eyes on what he did for me. I'm fixing my eyes on the price he paid. I'm fixing my eyes on the grace he brought. I'm fixing my eyes on the love he showed. I'm fixing my eyes on the value he's given me. And that is what liberates the human soul. You know, none of us um, are really qualified because of our holiness, but we're qualified because of God's hand and God's approval on our lives. And that's what we need to put our confidence in. So I stand here today and I've been a Christian from, uh, I don't know what, it, whatever it's been now, uh, 37 years, 37 or 38 years that I've actually been saved. And God has not failed me once. Wow. Now, I've failed him multiple times, but he just keeps willing to. He just keeps keeps on being willing to back me up, to support me. You, too. How many of us could testify to the fact that we haven't always been faithful to God, but he has been faithful to us and he has remained faithful because, you know, there's one reason why God remains faithful to us. There's one reason why God is faithful. And you know what it is? It's because he's faithful. There's one reason why God is good to us. You know what it is? Because he's good. God is not good to us because we're good. God is not faithful to us because we're faithful. God is faithful to us because he's faithful and he's good to us because he's good. As simple as that is, as simple as that sounds, that's how you got to boil down life. Life is simple. The Bible says don't let anyone deceive you away from the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the simplicity of the gospel. So listen, when it comes down to so many preachers that have different opinions about Christianity in the Bible, can I just say this to you when it comes down to that, like if you really want to have a measuring stick, obviously. The Bible is the measuring stick of who's accurate and who's not. But assuming that a person who disagrees with me is preaching out of the Bible and I'm preaching out of the Bible. Where do we how do we know what's accurate? How do we know? Because how many know that there are people that could preach something out of this Bible that it really is completely different than what you're going to hear me preach out of this Bible? But it's going to be from the same Bible. So how do we discern whether it's accurate? Here's how is that it has to be reduced down. You have to side with the simplest explanation not the hardest. The simplest explanation is the one that you side with. Why? Because the Bible says do not be deceived by anyone that tells you anything that pulls you away from the simplicity of the gospel. So when someone says, well, you know what, to be saved, you got to do this and then you got to do this. You got to receive it. Yeah, it's a free gift. But then you got to keep it by doing this. You got to keep it. And now all of a sudden it's more than simple. Now it's beyond simplicity. Now we need explanations and we need qualifications and we need to decide, is that right or is that right? No, 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 no. But here, if we say, Well, John 316 says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the simplicity of the gospel side with the simple side with the simple give and it'll be given to you. Well, what if I'm giving? But I'm also like, you know, smoking, you know, a doobie. Does my giving does my giving stop working? No, your giving doesn't stop working. I know a word out of 1983. <laughs> whatever you call it now, whatever you guys call it, what do you guys call it? What, what do you call it when you're smoking it? What I call it when I'm smoking it is no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's been a long time. It's been a long time. Um, but um, God, like two two things can be true at the same time, like. God will open up the windows of heaven for me because I put him first. I give him honor. I give him my my ties, my offerings. He can open the windows of heaven for me. And still, I could put things in my body that are not healthy for me and that could hurt me. He's still opening the windows of heaven. That does not my what I'm doing in some other area of my life does not disqualify me from what God said he would do in this area of my life. So you don't have to like cross all the T's and dot all the I's. You have to just trust God. The simplest explanation is always the more biblical explanation. The simplest explanation is always the most biblical explanation, because he said it's the simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel, the kingdom of God belongs to a child. Humble yourself like a child. It's simplicity. It's not simplistic in the sense that it's not dumb. It's it's not it's 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 not um, be belittling or beneath us, but it's it's simple. It's easy to understand and it's easy to do. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Guess what? I'm siding with that. Well, God puts God puts heavy burdens on people. But you know what? He doesn't put heavy burdens on you that you can't carry. I'm sorry, but that's too complicated for me to figure that out. Jesus said more simply, he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if you tell me he puts yokes on us that are heavy, that's contrary to what he said when he said his yoke is easy, his burden is light. You see how simple it is. Always reduce any argument down and any explanation down to the simplest form, the simplest version of it. And that's almost always the biblical version. Almost always, that's the way to look at it. Amen. Hope that makes sense. I do want to remind you of this verse in Luke, chapter nine, verse twenty three. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Now, we, again, we've read that so often as this sense of self-denial, but he's not saying, It's not about, okay. I got to deny desires, I got to deny this and I got to deny that. I believe that overcoming selfishness is the byproduct or the overflow of the next part of the verse. He says, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, take up his what? His cross daily. Now, folks, Jesus on the cross said it is finished. So is there a cross in your life that you have to carry in order for you to finish the work of God or did Jesus finish it? So the cross we carry, we got to get this out of our mind that that we're all supposed to carry this burden and we all we all have a cross to bear. And you're like, how you doing, brother? I'm all right. I'm just bearing my cross for Jesus. Why do you sound like a goat? I don't know. It's just, uh, I just, I don't know. I'm just burdened. I'm just burdened with the Lord. I'm just burdened with my cross. I got to, this sickness is my cross. My wife is my cross. My husband is my cross to bear. You know, I got to bear this cross. Oh, what I'm going through right now. It's an old rugged cross do you know Christians live like that whenever they're going through a trial this trial is my cross then why did Jesus say it is finished if he meant for us to carry something that he already carried he said we're to take up our cross daily not from a sense of Stop doing this. Stop doing that. You better live this way and you better live that way. We are to take up our cross daily and say today. The cross is as real to me in this area of my life as 2000 years ago when Jesus died on it today. When the sickness tries to come against me, I take up the cross and I declare Jesus blood was shed on that cross so that with his stripes, I'm healed today. When temptation comes against me, I take up the cross and I say, Jesus paid the price for this temptation. So sin doesn't have power over me anymore because sin was destroyed. Sin's power was defeated on the cross. And therefore, I take up the cross and I declare with Jesus that it is finished. He became poor on the cross that we through his poverty might be made rich. So when I am lacking something in my life, I take up the cross daily and I say today I take up the cross and I declare that by the stripes of Jesus and by his cross, he became poor, that I through his poverty might be made rich. So I have what I need. I take up my cross and declare that that need is finished. That sickness is finished. That temptation is finished. That fear is finished. That depression is finished it is finished and I'm taking up my cross daily to declare that I have what Jesus paid the price for me to have amen and too many Christians I'm telling you folks they're they're, they're denying in their attempt to deny themselves they're denying what Jesus did because they're trying to do it again look you don't have to sacrifice to be forgiven you don't have to shed your blood you don't have to strive and struggle. This life was not meant to be a burden to bear. This life was meant to be a celebration. Jesus bore the burden. We're to celebrate, we're to rejoice. Oh, how God wants you to have a happy life. Oh, how God wants you to have a rejoicing life where you are, where you are the happiest people on earth. God wants us to be the envy of the world. He wants the world to envy us and to be jealous of how joyful we really are. Who wouldn't be joyful if they knew it was finished? If they knew the curse was broken, what does that mean? What is a curse? A curse is the empowerment to fail, a curse. The word literally means to be small, to be insignificant, to be inferior. The word curse means to be hemmed in from every direction. You try to make you try to make progress here and you're hemmed in there You try to make progress here and you're hemmed in there. You try to make progress here and you're hemmed in there. there. Have you ever felt sometimes like you just can't seem to break through? You just can't seem to to reach that next place in the Lord or that next uh, blessing or that next uh, financial empowerment or that next healing in your body or, or or just knowing that you're that you're making progress in God. And when you look at your life five years ago, and you think well I'm not much further along today than I was then. Well that's a curse. God didn't intend for you to live like that. He intended for you to go to glow from glory to glory, uh, from faith to faith, from victory to victory, to grow each and every day, week, month, year. You are meant to soar. You're meant to mount up with wings as eagles and run and not grow weary and walk and not faint. You're meant to be big, to be large, to be great. You're not created by God to be a grasshopper looking at the giant. In life, you're created by God to be the giant looking down on the mountain, looking down on the devil, looking down on sickness, looking down on fear, looking down on your problem, looking down on whatever tragedy or circumstances in your life. God created you to be the head and not the tail, to be above only and not underneath goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. That's God's nature to do you good all the days of your life. But you're. But if you believe that, well, sometimes God's mad at me, so he's going to hold out on me, then you'll 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 cling to that philosophy and that theology, because there will always be something wrong in your life. There will always be some sin that you've done in your mind and your actions and your words. There will always be something that disqualifies you from the blessing of God, but nothing you do will disqualify by you from the blessing of God when you look at life through the lens of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. And that will not only bring your freedom in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, but it will launch you into a life of obedience that is out of an overflow of gratitude for the fact that Jesus holds nothing against you, will never hold anything against you. He will not change his opinion of you. He will not change his will about you. He will not change his purpose for your life. He will not change the good and the mercy. That that he wants to chase you down with all the days of your life. You get a hold of this and your life will never be you'll never live in depression the rest of your life. You'll never live. I'm not saying you'll never have moments. But what I'm saying is your view of God's nature will always grab you in those tough moments and bring you back to faith. And let me tell you something. Faith is easy when you know God's nature. You know what his nature is. He's good. You know what his nature is. He's a promise maker and a promise keeper. And you know what that means? That means I don't have to do anything to get God to keep his promise. He's going to keep his promise because he said he would. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast. This was a really special episode. I know it really impacted me. I hope it did you as well. Hey, I want to encourage you to stay connected. We got 20 more days of the fast from wrong thinking. So keep coming back. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. so You don't miss these episodes. And if you haven't started getting the emails yet, head over to fast from and sign up so you can get those daily devotionals coming into your inbox every single morning. It's been powerful so far, but we're not done yet. We'll talk to you tomorrow.